एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं बंडलिंग what does this mean let me explain with an example the traditional way in which music was distributed was as a bundle a cd or a cassette tape had a bundle of songs in it and that was incredibly profitable way and led to large music businesses getting established and then it got unbundled by the mp3 and apple music became a large business because it was selling you individual mp3s way back in early 2000s and this again got bundled via a spotify spotify was selling you a bundle where you could consume all you can eat music with a, a fixed monthly subscription and this has been the story of multiple industries and this is pretty much what's happening in the lending space you had these traditional companies like say a bank which was a bundle it would do everything from drawing in supply of funds through savings account to finding people who needed funds by offering loans and this has now got unbundled where there are fintech companies who are just doing lending and they are being supplied funds by banks who are soaking in the savings this is further getting unbundled through businesses that are building pipes and a perfect example for that is nero nero is building the pipes that allow anybody to start lending just through a simple api integration i think of nero as a payment gateway except what you are integrating into your product now is lending and nero takes care of everything on the back end be it kyc be it risk underwriting be it the tie ups with the banks and nbfcs who actually do the lending and you can just focus on the customer experience aditya the founder of nero has had a fascinating journey himself he grew up in the west came back to india to become a founder and he sold his first venture which was a lending business to incred and now he's building the pipes to help other businesses get into lending here's aditya talking about his journey and how the idea of nero came to him If you like to hear stories of founders then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion dollar businesses just search for the founder thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify Ghana Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show What I had discovered in this process was that at the end of the day when it came to retail unsecured credit right, which is people like you and me looking to borrow uh, against let's say our salary our salary or any other stream of income that we may have um that market was very very concentrated right uh, that was basically still aimed it was a large market but it was still aimed at people who earned more than 6 lakhs a year people who worked at the top at that time top 30 40000 employers in the country and people who had super prime credit histories right so that's a obviously in, in terms of the overall distribution of the working population that's a tiny segment right um 
at least in terms of where, you know, absolute numbers, right? Their propensity to borrow is obviously the largest, but but the but the segment itself is is tiny, right? And so then uh, right then took it one level deeper, and I said, but why why is this the case, right? And the bottom line is that banks, especially, don't have either the distribution um, or the risk appetite um, or the technology, right, to be able to lend to the long tail of customers, right? And by long tail, I, don't, I actually not even the long tail. The I would say the middle tail, right? On a normal distribution curve, banks and lend at that top two percent, right? Um, you've then got this entire two to thirty percent, right? Where which is a huge market, right? Which is people who earn between two and six lakhs per annum, people with thin files, no credit histories, or very good credit histories, and people who work for over ten lakh incorporated entities in India that are active, right? Um, with regular incomes, who have stable jobs, who need 50,000 a lakh, 2 lakh, 3 lakh rupees, right? For any purpose, right? And um, and so because they don't have distribution in those segments, because they don't have the risk appetite to underwrite those segments, and because the unit economics don't make sense because they can't leverage technology and it's all branch-based, um, uh, there was a huge opportunity in that segment, right? Is Was the thesis, right? Um, and so, you know, sort of having uncovered this right the next question was that next question was that how can can one and how can one go about building a large business around this right um and so you know having done an educational stint and an entrepreneurial stint i was sort of to that extent comfortable you know uh, building from zero to one right um the credit game is one that you know, if you do a little bit of research around, you can build a certain amount of confidence in terms of understanding the different levers of the business in terms of what will help make money and what won't. But the bottom line was, hey, can we can we give this a shot, right? Um, so we actually managed to raise, uh, you know, spoke to friends and family, a couple of smaller angel investors managed to raise like a three crore um, angel, like a seed round, um, just to get, get things off the ground. Um, we actually also ran in while I was in the US studying this entire fintech P2P space, ran into a technology company called Sigma Info Solutions that offered to partner with us and provide the entire technology um, to us. Um, so that was another big, big. What was the technology play here? Like the underwriting would happen through that? So everything. So the acquisition, the underwriting and the entire management and the processing of the entire customer in the loan book, everything would happen on, on a tech platform. So when we met these guys, it was because they had some very, very large clients in the US using their technology. Obviously, that was a big part of the battle one, right? Because we felt like, hey, this is something that we don't need to build from the ground up all over again, right? So today also, if you're going to use a CRM, you'll go to Lead Squared, you'll go to Salesforce, right? You won't sit and build a CRM in your internally. So that was kind of the thesis at that time. Uh, though that part of the thesis, I would say, didn't work out quite as planned. Um, and... Uh, and after raising half a million from largely friends and family, uh, you know, sort of started building a small team out, uh, found some great guys early on that were willing to uh, jump on board and, you know, get started. Um, but I think the biggest breakthrough that we had after putting the team and a tiny bit of capital together was we um, we were fortunate to meet someone who would become sort of an advisor and consultant to us who introduced us to RBL Bank, Right. So the demand side of the thesis was still clear in terms of who we wanted to lend to. What was not clear is where is the money going to come from, right? Should it be P2P and retail investors? Should it be our own balance sheet where we actually put up equity and then raise debt and lend from our balance sheet? And what this allowed us to do is actually get fund access to institutional capital, right? At institutional rates 
right, without compromising on the segment that we wanted to link to after customer experience, technology, et cetera, right? And that was a huge vote of confidence, right? Um, you know, a couple of months after having incorporated, when RBL actually came to offices, met the entire team and said, you know what, we'll give you our balance sheet, right? Um, and then the question was that today, you know, if you do it yourself, you have a crazy cost of funds. If you have to aggregate retail demand, it's the regulatory, you know, uncertainty around it and um, and be expensive because now you have to find a customer and that's acquisition cost there. And you have to find a, a, under a, a supplier of capital. So there's acquisition cost there. Um, and uh, so when, when that happened, you know, I think we incorporated in... Uh, at the beginning of 2016 um, and at the beginning of 2017, we went live with RBL, right? And, um, you know, we did like 15 lakh rupees of loans in our first month, which was nothing, um, 40 lakhs in the second month and slowly, slowly, slowly grew that business, um, kept and raised smaller rounds of, again, additional angel capital. What was your deal with RBL? Like uh, they would... Uh, you would be like a DSA for them, the, the way they have DSAs who do loan origination? No, Akshay. Um, so the deal with them is that we would actually share risk with them and revenue with them, right? So we would actually uh, acquire the customer. We would underwrite the risk on an agreed policy. Um, we would do verifications, KYC, and we would actually manage the disbursement. And we would take the first X percent of... If there's an NPA. If there's an NPA. So let's say 3 4 5% of first loss, right? What we call FLDG, which is a first loss default guarantee. The first 3 4 5% of principal loss would be borne by us. So if we gave out 100 rupees on a two-year loan, the first 5 rupees that went NPA, right? Or uh, the first 5 rupees that went NPA would be to our account. First 5 rupees to that one customer or first 5 rupees of the entire portfolio? At a aggregated level of the entire pool. It's, it adds up to the same thing. But in exchange for that, RBL would keep sort of a 15, 16% return. So let's say the loan was priced at 23, right? And we would actually keep the spread in the middle, right? So if we priced the loan at 23 and we let, we and RBL was charging us 16, we would keep 7% per annum, right, in the middle. So on a two-year loan that works out to almost 10, on a reducing balance, that works out to almost 10, 10 and a half, 11% actually on a three-year product, right? We had a roughly five, five and a half percent spread per year, right? So even if we gave them 4% first loss, if we were making 11, 11 and a half percent over three years, right? We were making 7% on the loan and it was a two lakh loan, which means net of first loss, we were earning, you know, on a, we were earning 14, 14 and a half thousand rupees net of first loss, right? Um, and it was, you know, people would think that why would the bank do this to you not do directly for the reasons I mentioned. They don't have distribution. They don't understand the risk. And the unit cost, because it's only a 2 lakh loan, don't make sense to them because their cost structure is much higher, right? So they are walking away with 15, 16% with no acquisition cost, with no operating expense, right? Um, with a cost of funds of maybe 7, 8%, right? So they're making 7% spread, risk-free, super happy. And we're making 7%, taking some risk, net, risk-free 7%. We're super happy. And who would do collections? So it was interesting. Uh, interesting you asked that, Akshay. It was actually, when we started out, it was actually the bank entirely, right? Um, so it was very interesting because, you know, they uh, this dynamic between, you know, their collection agents for their portfolio and our portfolio is the same guy. Our loans are obviously smaller ticket size. So what would happen is they would, you know, at the beginning of the month when a collection agent gets their entire uh, uh, sort of inventory to collect, they sort it by ticket size. Right, because you want to go after the big fish first, right? 
So invariably, our loans would be collected last and then they would roll over into the next, what we call bucket of collections, right? So eventually, we started hiring a few guys on roles, right? Um, but RBL was only the first lender and we managed to make it work really well with them despite the world believing that there would be a huge conflict of interest, right? With Indusind, who is actually our second partner, right? The collections efficiency was incredible, right? Because the guy, the business head at, at Indusind, is the person who runs the PNL, is actually responsible for both sales and collections. Ah, okay. Hmm. So he's very highly motivated to ensure that whatever gets originated gets connected as well, right? And we had the same experience with Fullerton, who became our third lending partner, right? Um, so you know, I think we actually managed to make that part of the equation work. Um, having said that, in my present avatar, uh, we're actually building an entire collections capability from the ground up. Okay. And uh, uh, what was supposed to be the way for repayment of loan? Like, was it a like a one-time mandate that they would sign or what was it like? It was a NATCH mandate. Every month we'd pull money out of their account. If uh, his or her NATCH mandate, if their NATCH instrument bounced any month because there was insufficient funds in the account or because the account had been closed, um, then the account would go to collections. For soft collections, which means you get a call, you get an SMS, you get an email, you get a WhatsApp. And if there's still no, if we're not able to resolve the uh, the overdue payments on that, then it goes to field. Field in Kubera's case, uh, back in the day, was um, bank's field. Right, right, right. Okay. What was the uh, uh, way you acquired customers here? Like how the people who want loans? So we were omnichannel. We started out, uh, we started out digital only, right? And at that time in 2007, like you were doing like Facebook ads yeah, and Facebook, Google, organic, organic, uh, you know, publish content, get backlinks, try and drive traffic organically. And that actually worked really well for about a year and a half, actually two years, right? So 2017, it worked really well. 2018, it worked really well for two reasons. One is that, I mean, I thought you actually one reason. The only reason was that fundamentally there was more demand going online than there was supply, Right. What happened at the end of 2018 and when we actually flipped up, flipped over to, to doing a lot of offline stuff as well, going to agents, going to aggregators, etc., was that the, the com- competitive dynamics of advertising online changed, right? So you had, this, you had this massive surge of digital lenders, right, that were now coming to the same places, right, Facebook, Google, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc., to find that, and there is a finite pool of borrowers that isn't growing that quickly, right? And so because, you know, most of these platforms work on a bidding algorithm, right? The effective cost per lead started skyrocketing and the quality of the average of the average borrower started deteriorating, right? So that became a deadly combination. By December 2018, we were sort of struggling online only because the minute you try and absorb more than a certain impression share, right, on Google or Facebook, the cost starts going up disproportionately. So if you want to see two, if you want customers 2% 2% of all customers that are searching for personal loans to see your ad, the cost per click could be something like 40 rupees. But if you want people to see, if you want 20% of customers who are seeing, who are searching for personal loans to see your ad, the cost per click can go as high as 200 rupees, right? So then we started omni-channel in the end of, at the end of 2018. Um, there's a colleague of mine from Sibyl, uh, Alok, uh, who's, who's now at Trusting Social, um, who had been working with us for two years, Alok came and joined us to build the entire offline sales capability. At this point, we were, we were, um, at this point, we'd also, sorry, there's a capital story also, which happened at the same time. Um, so uh, we, uh, we, after raising multiple small, small rounds of capital, um, 
we actually went out and tried to uh, tried to reach out to a bunch of venture capital funds and try to raise a try to raise a, a, a series A, um, so called series A at the time. How much had you raised by that time? Like the the pre series A total? We raised about a million by then. No, so about six six and a half crores roughly at the time from a bunch of small angel investors. Uh, at that time, um, the challenge that we found when we hit the market for Series A was was largely twofold. Uh, one was we had our technology was viewed as being outsourced because we had this tech partner that was running it, right? And so the optics of that, the mecha- the practical, you know, practically on the ground for us, that wasn't a challenge, but the optics of it were terrible. The second challenge that we had is because we raised so much angel capital and because we had this strategic technology investor, almost half the cap table pre-Series A was owned by non-founders. So this sort of made it prohibitive, right, to raise capital. And um, we were very lucky to find a gentleman who was a part of the ZSL group, uh, Atul Goyal, um, who runs a company called E-City Ventures, which used to own fun, fun cinemas and all the fun, fun Republic malls. Um, who was actually looking to get into the uh, financial services space. So it incubated an NBFC and was looking for a platform play to complement the NBFC play and vice versa, right? And uh, he actually made us, he he agreed to invest the 3 million primary that we needed. Um, He also put in $2 million of capital and cleaned up the cap table. So took everyone else on the cap table out, including the technology partner. Um, And thanks to that investment, we were able to go from originating 2 crores a month to almost 12 crore rupees a month in six months, right? So explosive growth, right? And at a unit level, if one factored in lifetime value of the customer, we were actually making money, right? But cash burn was obviously higher because we would incur all our expenses upfront, but revenue came in over the three years of the loan. The the loan was typically a three-year loan, like what kind of loans? Three-year loan, two lakh rupees, uh, 21% interest, 3% processing fee. Okay, it's like a flat single product uh, that you were offering. No, no. So we did everything from loans at 16, 17%, which were 5 lakh rupees for five years, to loans which were 27, 28%, 50,000 bucks for one and a half years. So we, we did the entire entire spectrum. So we post raising capital, it went to, you know, sort of 12 crores a month. And by uh, we had like a 40 crore book when the investment came in. And now we had a 100 CR plus book. So in the middle of 2019, um, we decided to go to market uh, and uh, try and raise a series, what would now be series B, right, equivalent. Um, we met like 40 funds. Uh, feedback from everyone was the same that, you know, the cap table is just, it was lopsided, right? Uh, we were in minority positions um, with one large promoter sort of sitting on the cap table. Uh, how, how many founders were there besides you? So I was, I started out as a sole founder and we named two, two others founders along the way. Um, so Anubhav, who was, who's now the founder of Rupify, uh, an embedded B2B, uh, uh, start, uh, sort of lending startup. Uh, Anubhav was named co-founder in, uh, 2018 and Anuj, uh, who, who now runs a company called Gold Setu, um, was named co-founder in 2019. So feedback at Series B was broadly the same. Uh, you know, it's a great business, unfortunately, uh, you know, uninvestable from a cap table perspective. We went to private equity who tend to be slightly less cap table sensitive. You know, uh, it wasn't any better. Uh, it was too small for private equity, actually. And so by October 2019, I um, started looking at strategic options. I spoke to a bunch of 
larger fintechs, spoke to a bunch of NBFCs that didn't have digital capabilities, spoke to some banks. Um, and uh, long story short in that journey, Incred, um, which is obviously run by uh, Bhupinder Singh um, and, uh, and a bunch of very senior ex-Deutsche bankers, um, Bhupi liked the story and, and um, offered, to, uh, offered to come in and sort of uh, acquire the business. So Incred was like a more offline type of NBFC or like what was Incred? Incred was more, it was a, it was sort of a startup NBFC. Uh, they had about a 2000 crore book, um, but they didn't have a digital lending business and they didn't have a platform business where they could work with third party lenders. So, uh, so for them, this was an augmentation of, I guess, three things, right? One is us as a team and leaders. The second was a digital capability. And the third was a platform business where Incred had this ambition to become a fintech. So it's Incred now working with third party balance sheets through the Kubera platform. Right, right, right. Okay. And Incred was, uh, again, B2C, like same audience, like salad class or what were they? No. So Incred did a mix. Incred did education, which was obviously B2C. Incred did PL, which was B2C. Incred did SME, MSME lending, supply chain financing, lending to schools. Um, they did two-wheeler at the time, which they subsequently stopped. Right. So it was a mix. It was a, it's a reasonably, I mean, that way a reasonably diversified book. So, uh, Incred uh, did an acquisition, and you you became part of Incred. In uh, so Incred, this process took a while. I think by the time everything happened, it was sort of March, and then COVID happened, um, and then for a while, you know, things were in limbo, and we actually managed to conclude the deal during the first lockdown. So, in April of two thousand and uh, April twenty twenty was when it concluded. Okay. Did uh, COVID impact valuation? Like I've heard a lot of stories of deal valuations getting changed due to COVID impact. Yeah, yeah it did. It did. It, it did. And, and, you know, and, and you can't really blame anyone because things were so uncertain at the time. Nobody knew when this will end, when, you know, you'll be able to start business again, when you'll be able to monetize value out of this, etc. cetera. Um, so it was a, it, it did, but fortunately, you know, it went through in April. Otherwise, you know, we would have been in a very, very tough spot. That acquisition, was it like cash plus equity or like what was the terms of the deal? I mean, it was complicated uh, because the thing is, it was an asset sale. So the company stayed with the Australian investor. Um, there was some consideration and there was some equity for those moving. So complicated structure. Um, but, uh, but, but, but I think given the circumstances, it was a fair outcome. And obviously very relieved to find an outcome, especially in the middle of the very first lockdown. The amount of uncertainty that clouded you know, that sort of clouded the entire, uh, clouded the entire, especially the financial services space with collections being hammered, right? I, uh, and then moratorium kicking in and then, you know, it was just one thing after another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how much uh, value did you create for yourself over uh, like this three, four year period? So I think a lot of the value, uh, you know, Akshay was actually more in the form of equity that would have come in had I stayed at, you know, had I stayed at Incred over the next couple of years. Um, so it was a that way a complicated structure, but honestly, the I mean that journey, right? Of and then you know the go- beautiful thing at Incred for me was that I was given a role to manage the entire consumer the entire consumer PNL there, right? So uh, our on balance sheet business for retail consumers, our partnerships business where we worked with other fintechs. So earlier it was me as the fintech working with an RBL industry Fullerton. Now it was me as the balance sheet working with money tap crazy, be early salaries, as money, et cetera. Right. So that 360 degree experience was in the most sincere, you know, way was, 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 it was really, really incredible. Um, got to see some scale, got to see 
you know, real risk management at play. Um, and uh, also built an appreciation for why fintechs exist, right? Because there are some things that large balance sheets are, or even mid-sized balance sheets are great at doing. And there are some things that, that you know, fintechs are not great at doing and vice versa. I want to understand more about uh, the, the credit industry, you know, so what are like the levers of a credit business or a lending business? Like, you know, what drives success in it? So there's multiple things, right? Um, and in no particular order, maybe in some particular order. Uh, so I think, I think cost of funds is one, right? In a lending business, because what a cost of funds allows you to do fundamentally is lend at more competitive rates. Lending at more competitive rates invariably attracts a better quality of consumer that nobody else has access to because of your cost of funds advantage. And HDFC is the best example of this, right? HDFC can do a personal loan at 10.5% today unsecured and be exceptionally profitable. Right? Because today it probably has a sub three and a half percent cost of funds, right? So I would say the first thing is 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 your cost of funds, right? And uh, for this cost of funds, like I understand for banks, what is cost of funds? The the depositors are putting their money in the bank, so that is the funds. But what about for say Incred? Like, what is their see, cost of funds? It's, How not, do it's they not retail investors. It's borrowings. It's corporate borrowings, right? So you go to other large institutional lenders and you raise capital from them. Right. These could be public sector banks. These could be private banks. These could be uh, intercorporate deposits. These could be, you know, bonds, etc. And what rate do companies like Incred have, like for their cost of funds? I mean, we so NBFCs in general today in India, right, that have a vintage of four, five, six years in today's interest rate environment are probably sitting at a cost of funds of between nine and ten percent. Right. The very large ones might be as low as seven and a half, eight. Um, the slightly smaller earlier stage one could be as high as 11, 11 and a half, 12. Um, but in general, that's the, in today's interest rate environment, which is obviously historical low, right? Uh, it would be in, depending on size, scale, quality of book, et cetera, would be in that zip code. Okay. And for fintechs, which are in the lending business, like say lending card, capital flow, for them, the funds are through lending partners, like the way you had done. So there, it's a it's a combination. Um, so in in the case of Capital Fraud and Lendicard, they both also have balance sheet businesses, which are NBFCs, right? Uh, they're tech led, but they're tech first, but they're still NBFCs. Um, so the on the cost of funds that I wouldn't know what it is today. My my guess would be it would be sort of low double digit, right? Um, and uh, then you have guys who are either balance sheets who have a non balance sheet business, right? Um, uh, which is just a tech platform where you have lenders that you work with, where you do what we call direct origination or on lending, right? Where you effectively work with the balance sheet to lend off their balance sheet and the money comes back onto their balance sheet. Um, so guys like us at Nero also, where again, today cost of funds, because you don't have the regulation cost, right? That cost tends to be slightly higher, can be in the zip code of 12 to 15% roughly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I interrupted your answer. So the first thing you said is cost of funds. Uh, what are the other levers? So first lever is cost of funds. Second lever, which actually determines how good your cost of funds is, is, is your risk management, right? Your ability to control asset quality, um, your ability to scale without compromising on asset quality, your ability to originate sensibly and to, and to, and to collect, right? Um, for NDFC businesses, this is also typically driven by your credit rating. Right. So an Ikra or Crystal, somebody, uh, uh, Moody's, which will ascribe a rating to you. And that rating, depending on whether you're triple A, double A, single A, single B, double B, triple B, will then determine what your effective cost of borrowing is. Right. It's kind of a rubber stamp, um, kind of a rubber stamp on, on how well you manage your business and how well you manage risk. That's the second one. Um, 
The third is distribution, right? And I think this is one which is this is one which I think a vast majority of NDCs in India have underinvested in, right? And maybe my lens is clouded, clouded, um, or is limited to the unsecured retail asset space, right? I think they've made a lot of strides in other areas like two-wheeler financing, commercial vehicles, etc. Less well versed with those, but when it comes to un- traditional unsecured lending, right, retail lending, personal loans, credit lines, that kind of thing, the problem, the challenge there becomes that. MBFCs haven't been able to build distribution, right? This is why cred can get to a 3000 crore loan book, which it would take in two years, which would take another MBFC two, three, four years to build in PM, right? Um, so I'd say distribution is the third lever, both in terms of cost dynamics, selection, right? The kind of user you're able to reach. Geographic reach becomes a huge limitation for most MBFCs because they insist on having a branch in every location. So then, you know, you have five locations, 10 locations, 20 locations, 30 locations, but that doesn't still doesn't cover a majority of India, right? Um, fourth is OPEX, right? How well can you, how low can you manage your entire, how low can you keep your entire cost of operations? Um, and, and, you know, the fifth is uh, if you're a balance sheet business, obviously, or even a non-balance sheet leverage. Right. Um, so essentially, you know, you've got your acquisition uh, cost dynamics, um, lifetime value, etc. You have your cost of funds, you have your risk management, uh, and you have your entire OPEX uh, infrastructure. Obviously, the one thing that can help, which is kind of a, it's not really a lever, but it's one that underpins all of this now and becomes a foundation, especially for context, which is tech. Right. Um, tech can help you, you know, build defensible distribution, especially in an embedded context. Tech can help you lower your cost of acquisition, help and help you help you improve processes and therefore attract a better quality of consumer. Tech can help you reduce fraud risk. Right. Um, so that that's the fifth, but it's not a lever. It's kind of something which in today's day and age underpins every single aspect of, of any business, especially, you know, financial services or a fintech business. Mm-hmm. You use the word embedded a couple of times. Can you clarify what you mean by that? So embedded essentially is is so financial services typically tends to be a a standalone experience, right? So is financial services is today I need a loan I go to my bank I need a loan I go to bank bazaar I need a loan um, you know I call a friend right so the the entire experience tends to exist in a standalone ecosystem, right? Um, so you can think about it. I think an advertising analogy is a an advertising analogy is a good one, right? Um, think of your advertisements that you see on your bus stand, right? Think about your advertisements that you see, uh, you know, on hoardings, right? As standalone advertisements, and they play a very vital role, right? Now think about advertisements inside any mobile application that you use, right? If you open your Airtel app, you might see an ad. If you open Nokri.com, you might see an ad. If you open NDTV, I think there is more ad than than content, right? So, so I, so I think it's a form of being able to embed, you know, certain types of products into experiences that customers are already engaging with and that they love, right? So the uh, I think the notion behind you know embedded again, this is limited to more credit or even embedded insurance or embedded investments and savings is that you can take a you can deliver a financial services experience inside an existing platform, inside an existing service, right? Uh, seamlessly, right? Um, but also leverage data and leverage distribution to make that experience, you know, this Frank Rotman says this almost transcendent for the user, right? 
So typically, you know, if you need to borrow 5,000 rupees and go and pay for something, it's a terrible experience, right? The experience that a lazy payer or simple offers you on a, you know, on a Swiggy or a Dunzo is, is almost transcendent, right? Because it's, it's one click, right? It's zero paperwork, pay your bill after 15 days, right? It's and at no cost to you, right? It's almost too good to be true, right? So I think the thesis around this is that, you know, is, is, is multifold, right? One angle of this is that, is that more and more types of financial services will eventually exist within existing platforms, existing services that people are already availing, right? Uh, in some cases, be almost invisible to the consumer or extremely seamless to the consumer, right? And the second is that therefore, you know, the sort of profit pool and the revenue pool here will start to be owned by companies that have nothing to do with financial services. Hmm, right. So I, I want to give some examples here. Uh, so like, uh, like say you have, uh, you go to Big Bazaar and Big Bazaar is doing a co-branded credit card. Is, is that like, that would be embedded uh, finance, right? Like, yeah, yeah, completely. So I mean, that's one experience. Get simple, lazy pay, buy now, pay later is another experience. Check out financing, which, you know, Bajaj Finance, Zest Money, etc. offer is a third where you can buy something on EMI at the click of a button. And then Kata Book's business model is this only, you know, like Kata Book gives a free software for accounting and their uh, monetization is lending. So so that is again, or even cred for that matter. On the MSME side, yeah. Uh, so Kata Book is on the MSME side. Cred, I would say one of Cred's levers is lending. The other is even investments. They have this 9% fixed deposit, well, 9% lending product, uh, investment savings product, which they offer through liquid loans. Um, um, but absolutely, right? Embedding this, you know, you can have co-branded cards, which is the example that you gave. You can have buy now, pay later. You can have consumer durable or any sort of uh, checkout financing, which is Zest Money, Bajaj Finance, etc. You could have integrated, embedded, unsecured credit, Right. So True Caller today offers personal loans, though it's not fully embedded. True Caller offers personal loans, which is scaling, which are scaling like crazy. Um, you can have uh, embedded insurance where you're taking a trip with Make My Trip. You just check a box and you get travel insurance embedded into it. You can get health insurance embedded into it. But I think what we'll end up seeing more and more of is, is also uh, a lot of these are use case driven. Right. So what happens is that today, because I'm buying something, I now require financing for it. Right. Um, and the motive behind that type of embedded lending is to, pro, to, is to help the customer be more sticky, more loyal, right? Transact more for greater values on the platform. I think what we will start seeing now, right? And what Nero is in the business of building is being able to offer consumers different type of credit products embedded into any mobile application that you have on your smartphone right where you say i might need to i might need 2000 rupees of credit to check out somewhere i might need 10000 rupees to finance something but i also might need a lakh two lakh three lakh five lakh eight lakh rupees the way cred offers you on their app right um on competitive terms at the click of a button right so embedding credit of all types right is something I think we will all see more and more of right and recent Horowitz last January prophesized that every company right will soon become a financial services company even if they have nothing to do with financial services right and you're seeing incredible examples of Ola Financial have Ola having set up Ola Financial raising 35 million dollars of capital from Matrix you have Grab who raised 300 million dollars in a series A round to build a financial services business 
you have Gojek and Tokopedia in Indonesia that merged. And, you know, the sort of love child out of this marriage was GoTo Financial, right? Um, and you have TikTok, ByteDance, Meituan, every large platform in China, right? Looking at fintech as a monetization lever, right? Is particularly interesting in India because in commerce, the margins tend to be quite thin. In advertising, the market, you know, tends to be finite, right? So you will see this, you know, more and more, especially consumer-facing companies, right? Um, migrate towards saying, hey, I've got distribution, I've got data, I've got a brand, I've got engagement. How can I leverage fintech to, how can I leverage fintech as a monetization lever? Right, right, right. Okay. So how did your move happen from being an incred heading consumer lending to like becoming a, like a second time entrepreneur? I, I think, you know, there were, we explored this partnership. What I think what we saw was that there was a lot of platforms out there, right. That were looking to do exactly this, right. Which is, they said, look, we have large customer bases. We have data, we have distribution, and we want to build financial services products on top of this, right. The time that, the, during the time that I was at Incred. And, you know, we had our own priorities. We weren't able to capitalize on all those opportunities. And the, this is something I picked up on as a recurring theme, right. And that's what sort of motivated me to, um, motivated me to uh, explore this full time, right. And I spoke to a couple of mentors, um, guys, you know, sort of prolific angel investors, fintech entrepreneurs, and the overwhelming sort of uh, feedback from all of these guys was that, you know, this is going to happen, right? And so the point was that, and there was nobody really focusing on doing this. Anyone doing it had a competing D2C business, right? So an existing fintech platform getting into this is, is, is there is an inherent conflict, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm helping you monetize your customer base, but you also run the risk of losing your customer to me. Um, so, uh, so you know, I decided to move out uh, at the end of last year um, and moved out officially in March of this year uh, to pursue the Nero thesis full time. Nero is essentially like a Shopify, like a tool. How Shopify is a tool for anyone to start doing e-commerce. Nero is a tool for anyone to start doing lending. That's that's a great way of putting it, right? Um, you can think of it as you know, Ola Financial Services as an API, right? Uh, effectively, anybody that has a base and has data and has distribution and wants to start monetizing their base and creating value and engagement for their users through the distribution of financial services products, um, Nero is a one-stop shop. We bring four things to the table. We bring uh, risk management capabilities. We bring technology that allows us to pair suppliers of capital with with platforms that have demand. Um, we bring um, supply of capital, which is we have our own network of bank and NBFC partners, just like we did at Kubera, that we will that we will work with. We're just about to go live. Um, and the fourth is we also bring marketing capabilities because in the financial services use case, uh, it isn't always enough to just tell a customer that hey, we have this product for you. There's a certain amount of you know uh, information, education, awareness creation that needs to be done. Uh, so fundamentally, we bring four things to the table for platforms. It's the idea is for it to be super lightweight, um, create value for their users, create engagement with their users, um, and in turn drive drive revenues uh, in a completely different um, in a completely different vertical to their core business. So, say like a platform which talks about doing an MBA and has reviews of MBA colleges and helps people to apply for admissions, they could start offering education loans because they have that base of students who are going to apply for education courses uh, uh, through uh, integration with Nero. 
uh, at this point are use case agnostic, right? So these are not linked to, not necessarily linked to an end use, right? So think of um, any media platform, right? They have no real use case, right? But they have data, they have distribution, they have engagement, right? Think of mobility apps, right? That help you get from place A to place B. Um, think of, you know, anything to do with telephony, right? Think of your your service provider, think of, you know, um, caller ID apps, et cetera, right? All of these guys. So it could be your commerce-led platforms, but it could also be your low commerce, low frequency, no commerce platforms where you essentially want to build, um, you know, you essentially want to drive monetization and value creation and engagement for your users um, through the distribution of financial services products. Okay. So how would it uh, happen like within the app, uh, uh, the like uh, a, a new, uh, like a micro app would open inside that app where the customer could apply for the loan? Like, like how, how does that integration happen? So it's actually much more seamless than that. So you could fire up your app one day and you will see, you know, a, let's say a credit line or a personal loan offer for you. And um, because the platform already has a certain amount of data on you, um, you just need to complete KYC and uh, a NATCH, which is the auto debit, um, and one OTP-based e-sign. And your credit line or your loan could be dispersed. Right? So it's completely inside the app. Um, you don't jump around from place A to place B. Um, and uh, it's a, the idea is, I mean, the two pillars for us are one product should be competitive. right? So relative to you, your opportunity cost, etc. And second is it should be frictionless. Right, so it should be a seamless experience. So you don't need to jump through multiple hoops. Embedded entirely inside of a you know partner platforms uh, ecosystem, um, and those are the two drivers for us to make this successful. Right, uh, make the scale again that from the levers we spoke about scale this without compromising on credit quality. So how would the money reach the customer? Like it, you would take his bank account and transfer it there, or yeah, that's it. Okay. Okay. And uh, how do you do the risk assessment? So that's the, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the sort of heart and soul of this, right? Um, so we do it by leveraging data and building models on partner data. We do this by creating, um, you know, uh, we do this by data augmentation and enrichment where we can bring in data, you know, from public sources on on customers, um, behaviors, uh, device-led attributes, psychometric data, et cetera. Um, and through that entire process of enrichment and, and augmentation um, and analytics, obviously, we build our own models to be able to identify customers that we wish to give products to and customers that we don't wish to give products to. So there's not exactly plug and play. For each partner, you would need to build the risk uh, evaluation process because each partner would have a separate set of data points that they would make available to you. So I think... Uh, for the first, you know, half a dozen, dozen partners, actually, absolutely, it's a little bit more uh, involved and bespoke. But I think fundamentally, data is data, right? Uh, what we can learn from you about, you know, from uh, over a period of time, right? Once you're act active with, you know, a dozen large platforms, effectively, there are, you know, three signals that we largely try and derive out of, you know, out of partner data, right? The one is affluence, right? Second is stability. And the third is some amount of psychometric or behavioral data. What, what is the behavioral data that you're looking for? Like, like what is the attribute there? Like, so are you, uh, are you somebody who complains very often? Are you somebody who returns orders very often, right? Are you ordering from place A and then from place B and then from place C, right? Um, stuff like that, right? Uh, are you changing, you know, are, you may have a number, are you changing 
phones all the time, right? Going from one device to another to another. These are just, I mean, off the top of my head examples, right? Um, so all of these things, plus, like I said, all the enrichment that happens where we bring in data from the other outside ecosystems uh, gives us a fairly good sense of this is a customer whom we wish to give a product to. Um, and once we've, but the idea is once we've identified Akshay as a customer, the product should then be competitive and it should be frictionless. So once you identify Akshay as a customer, you're able to identify Akshay across multiple apps. Like, you know, this is Akshay on Amazon. This is Akshay on Flipkart. This is Akshay on uh, WhatsApp or Telegram or whatever. So so you, you are able to like, uh, and, and then make that offer available to me across all these partner apps. Should they be your partners? Over time, yes. That's the idea. Okay. So then your risk assessment actually would, I mean, the more partners you sign up, the more uh, robust your risk assessments becomes because each partner contributes data points and maybe any one partner may not give you a full picture, but maybe three partners together would give you a full picture of Akshay, thereby giving you a high confidence that yes, Akshay is a good person to loan to. Absolutely. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So this would then essentially become a pretty unassailable moat. Like once you have these partnerships, then you have that data and then you have that credit uh, assessment of users, which no other entrant could then kind of easily replicate. I mean, it would be pretty tough to replace you. So we hope. Hmm. Amazing. So, uh, what's the plan now? How how soon do you think you'll become a unicorn? Because I mean, this sounds pretty exciting. Like you know, it, it's it's just about it's a land grab. Like like the more partners you can tie up with quickly, the the faster you can scale up. You know. So so what's the plan here? Then? I mean, look, we've been we've just started, right? So we've uh, I mean, we're just about to go live. We've uh, we've built an amazing team out. Um, you know, Sankalp, the other founder, was at. Uh, has been in the fintech space for five years uh, and been in you know this management and analytics for like 18 years in total. Uh, we've got we've hired folks from you know we've hired like two-time entrepreneurs to hire to head product and tech. We've got somebody from Sachin Bansal's Navi that's coming to head collections and ops. Uh, we've got a lifetime banker who's coming to look after sort of finance and equity and debt. Um, we've been very lucky to get. Uh, Elevar to write us a three and a half million dollar seed check. Um, we've got some great angels who've come in as part of that round. Um, and so I think we're, you know, we're off to a, I think people, you know, by and large, uh, everyone uh, sort of sees, sees the vision and sees where, you know, believes that there is something to be done here, right? Uh, I think unicorn or not, I think the question really is, you know, can we execute, right? We're in the very unique position, uh, Akshay, of having access to um, supply-side capital from banks and MBFCs, of having demand-side partners where we have access to consumers, of having an execution capability in terms of such an experienced team, and having equity capital to execute, right? Um, so now I think the question really is that, you know, how quickly can we prove out this thesis? And to your point, right, how quickly can we roll this out to, um, you know, a, as many... Partners of significance as possible, right? such that some of that learning starts kicking in, and you know we see, um, you know we see gains and defensible gains on on the risk and the you know the underwriting side. Um, but I think there's a lot to be done, right? We need to we just about with the tech. We need to see user adoption. We need to see what scale looks like. We need to see what unit metrics look like. We need to see how well we are able to manage risk and collections. Because as I said, that's a capability we're building out, right? All these are capabilities we're building out from 
from the ground up. Does the uh, partner app share risk? I mean, the answer is at this point, no. Uh, you know, th- this is a more a distribution and a revenue play for them. Uh, like I said, our, one of our core values is we bring risk management capabilities to the table, right? We obviously hope that will change over time, right? As this becomes more and more, uh, as this scales more and more. Um, but as of now, risk management is one of the key things. That we- mm-hmm. And uh, so therefore, they are not concerned about collections also because they're not taking on any risk. So, so that collections, that's why you need collections in-house. Yeah, I mean, the way I can answer that, actually, uh, without sort of going into the specifics of the arrangement, is that risk management is our, is one of our core deliverables. So you said that uh, you are also bringing to the table uh, marketing capabilities. Like, uh, what does that mean? Like, how, how will that translate into action? So everything from, you know, uh, designing campaigns, push campaigns for partners, uh, email marketing, uh, automations, um, A-B testing, uh, from having... Uh, you know, in-house, uh, uh, you know, calling capabilities to support customers who aren't getting stuck at A, B, and C, to have chatbots, to have, um, you know, WhatsApp-based communication for customers who uh, want to reach out to us or who are having trouble uh, or who we want to remarket to, right? Um, or building digital marketing capabilities to remarket to consumers who dropped out from the family online through Google, through Facebook, right? Um, the entire suite, right? Um, because like I said, I think the, the take rates and the velocity, right, will depend on how effectively we're also able to reach out to consumers and educate them about what's available inside these apps for them. Mm-hmm. So this then becomes a pretty uh, passive mode for a, a app which has a large user base to monetize it. I mean, they literally don't need to do anything. You take care of everything. Yeah, monetize, create engagement, create drive revenue. Um, I mean, monetize which is drive revenue, create engagement and create value for their users. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-M dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.